Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full spectrum source for all things music, insight, and opinion. Today's date is August 15th, 2022. My name is Bill, and I'm joined here today with the one and only Michael. Hello, everybody. <laughs> so welcome back for season five. I kind of say this for everyone, like, hey, welcome back for season five. Season five. It's it's God. strange, isn't it? Yes. Well, three. Yeah, we've been doing it since 2019. Through the pandemic, we all made it through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember doing those, uh, doing the episodes like remotely. That was horrible. But everything works out or everything worked out and we're good now. <laughs> so um, have you encountered anything new or interesting since the last time you've been on? Well, um, I know we're both, we're going to talk about this both. Yeah. So it's, it's probably the most interesting thing for both of us is is rush showing up oh yeah and playing that that's the most interesting thing for me also yeah because it came out of nowhere yeah so if you don't know what we're talking about um on august 9th south park creators uh uh trey and matt they did a 25th anniversary concert at red rocks in um colorado and um one of the main points of that evening was primus playing and they brought out some special guests they brought out eddie and galax from rush oh yeah eddie and galax um <laughs> alex <Eddie>. and getty <laughs> from rush and they played closer to the heart and it was incredible yep. for for those of you don't know Rush, uh yeah primus for the past couple of years have been going out and touring as themselves but the first part of their set is to be a rush tribute and if if that has been a question for anybody, if you watch this video, you'll 100% understand why they do this. It, it was such a surprise. It, it hit, and that's all. I did a, I did a show last night in North Jersey, and it's all everybody was talking about. Um, did you see the Rush video? Did you see the Rush video? They're talking about the Rush video. Yeah. Did you see the, the Rush video? And, and I just seen it, and I, I didn't really understand how it all came to be. Until somebody explained to me about Primus and the Rush uh, tribute thing that they do, along with their regular stuff, and the bass player being one of the best bass players, and the fact that it was at Red Rocks, um, which is you know probably probably the the best outdoor amphitheater, if not a concert venue in the country, because um, Rush had one of their last gigs. Rush actually played there, and um, when they were together. And it's just a beautiful venue. And to have it happen there and for them to just to see them standing on stage together, the two of them next to each other again, it was just, I don't know how they did it without, without breaking up, but they did. Yeah. They had just had a blast doing it, which was great. And it just sounded so incredible. I mean, obviously the, the, um, the sound of Neil period will always be missed, but right. in this particular situation, you can't help but be happy to see them two on stage playing these songs because, fans of the band and just regular music fans in general know that that was never going to happen. Right. We thought it was never going to happen. Just the two of them playing yeah. and, and here it happens. And the drummer nailed it because that's oh, what yeah. he does. <laughs> and he even had the chimes. Yeah. Right. For closer to the heart. And even. like, I, I don't, I, I'm mad that I don't know the drummer of Primus's name, but he's, he's incredible. He, he's just a great drummer. He's always been a great drummer. And I guess maybe doing these type of songs, like it definitely shows the chops that he has mm -hmm. and the fact that no one skipped a beat at all. No, no, no. no. And you have to think of like no, the no. immense pressure that has to be like you're playing one yes. of like, you know, uh, one of their biggest songs with them. And you're also taking the place of their departed bandmate and friend. It's just like it, it's just got to be like an unrealistic amount of pressure on one person. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a combination of excitement and, mm -hmm. and pressure. And, and and you just got to take a big deep breath and just go. Let's just do it, <laughs> and then then just dive right in and do it. And well, the thing too that was really surprising to me is how well uh, Les Claypool was able to sing like Getty Lee. Yeah, like it was just you couldn't tell a difference. Exactly. Like if you if you weren't watching the video and seeing him singing, you would have no idea it was two people singing it at the same time. And uh, yeah, it was just incredible. Yeah, and even had the same setup on stage. He had too many moogs stop stacked on top of each other just like Getty Lee would have and they keep yeah it's the whole thing 
It was it was great. It, it was definitely a very good tribute to them. I mean, obviously it was all for South Park, but for that thing to happen there, like that just blew it up even bigger. And and if that was unrehearsed, which I guess it was, I don't think they rehearsed that. No. And for those for those two guys to walk up there unrehearsed and not playing with each other. Yeah. But they played the song for 40 years. <laughs> so everything just fell into place. And it's just, it's just, that's, you know, I guess it's the magic of music. Yeah. That just, you know, you had that connection and. That or muscle memory. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, they could both probably play that song with their eyes closed yeah. at this point. Right. <laughs> so, but, um. But they probably had, had, were also nervous. Oh Yeah about being on stage in front of all those people all of a sudden being shoved back out there and okay I'm playing this song I haven't played it in seven years and with you know one of my lifelong friends and now I gotta play in front of all these people so they were feeling the pressure too oh yeah and even though they played in front of hundreds of thousands of people the whole thing was probably they're all probably feeling the pressure but then it was well, relax and have fun and let's just do it. And that's the way it came out. Yeah. It looked like everybody was having fun. And that place was important. packed. And that video yeah. where they show the entire crowd, like, yeah. yeah, that place was filled. Yeah, Red Rocks is such a great place. If you, if you ever get a chance to visit it right outside of Denver, um, it's, it's a natural place. It's, it's built right into the rocks. It's a natural occurrence. And it was over God, it was over 100 years ago they decided to make a, the venue, a music venue out of it. And it used to have classical orchestras and opera singers. It probably sounds incredible there. Yeah, and it's the sound, the natural sound of the rocks on the sides holding the sound in, and and it, it's, it really is incredible. Yeah, if um if any of you out there haven't seen it yet, I would suggest looking it up. Actually, I'm pretty sure if you just go on YouTube, it's what I did. I just typed in "closer to the heart." It's like the second or third video yeah. that pops up. We're about to see a resurgence in Rush. I know. <laughs> Well, it's yeah. funny, too, because um, in the midst of, like, everything, there was, like, talks of Alex Van Halen doing something with Rush. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. I, I, like, I heard that, then this happened. I was like, I don't know. And like you were saying, they, they if they were unrehearsed, they were very, very good for yeah. being an unrehearsed band. But, I mean, that that's just uh, that's an entirely different thing. But um, I guess let's get into our music history for today. Um, today, August 15th in 1939, The Wizard of Oz premieres at the Chinese Theater in Hollywood. I forgot that movie was that old. Did they have Dark Side of the Moon playing in the background? I think it was culminating in the background <laughs> at that point. Yes. Because it's supposed to match up perfectly, so I wonder. If, um, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Ro- well, Roger Waters or David Gilmore wouldn't have been born yet. No, right? they were, I think they were born in the 40s. Right around World World War Two times, right so it might have been like in vitro. Yeah, was like a uh, there's the, something going on exactly yeah, <laughs> that they in vitro heard the movie and said we're going to write a soundtrack for this movie. Yeah. It's going to be the greatest al- the album with the most weeks on the chart ever. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. <laughs> Speaking of Pink Floyd for a second, I mean. Obviously, this is not a political podcast, and we have no political stance here. But did you hear about the Roger Waters thing? And how I saw it. And how he's under fire right now? Yeah, I, I saw it um, on YouTube. You can catch it on YouTube. He was just in Philadelphia. Uh, he's doing Madison Square Garden. Um, he's doing the New York part of his tour now. The The intro... You're talking about the intro? Oh, no, no. I'm talking about how he agrees with the Ukraine war. and. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's, I read that, and I was like, if that wasn't like a PR like nightmare, I don't know what was. Right, and, and, and it all ties into his opening for his concert. Oh. If you look at, up you, on YouTube, somebody, there's a number of them there. He, he opens the, his latest tour. The stage is black and up on, this, up on the screen. If... if, if um, if you're if if you are um, bothered or disturbed by by his view in politics, it's time to go. Just go up to the pub. Oh wow! Or something like just leave. That's crazy. Because he's 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 so he's he's so political that 
it's part of his show, and if you don't like it, leave. That's what that's basically what he said. Well, Pink Floyd was always like a pseudo political band in a sense, right? Yeah, they, they were I mean, so psychedelic in the beginning, mm. and um, but yes, they're political in a I think in more of a subtle way. Yeah, not like a Rage Against the Machine type. Yeah, <laughs> if, if like the whole the whole uh, Animals album was kind of about like society. Mm. If you if, if you really. Wasn't the wall? The wall was like a like politically centered yes, album. Yes, the wall was about, um, yep, isolation, mm-hmm. all that. Um, I think it was because uh, he lost his father in 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 World War Two, and so I ever since then, it's his whole life has been about uh, politics, about you know, no war, no war, that mm-hmm. war. And but what did he say about the Ukraine? That was such. He said. Um, he stands with Russia in the Ukraine war and Joe Biden is a war criminal. Right. And I, I'm sitting there, I, I read this and I was like, why would he say this right before a tour? <laughs> but yeah, nonetheless, he says, he says about, he says that about every American president. Oh, really? Yes. He's, he said that about every, every single one of them. <laughs> That's yeah, funny. Yeah. He's, so he's, he's about controversy and um, about politics and, that's what they said in the beginning of the concert. Came right up on the screen. If, <laughs> they said, first, turn your cell phones off. Don't don't take your cell phones. Just sit back and enjoy the concert. And if and if if, if his opinion on politics bothers um, bothers you, go up to the effing pub now and, <laughs> and leave. That's what it said right up there on the screen. Uh, I'm gonna have to watch this. <laughs> yes, yeah, right up there on the screen. And uh, then he comes walking out. That's insane. <laughs> to start the show. Yeah, it's... it's Well, definitely drew interest yes. in, into it, if anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what do we got going on in 1969? Okay, 1969, Woodstock. This was day one of the, of the performances. This is when, they, when it actually opened. And um, Richie Havens, as... I don't know if everybody, everybody knows this, but he's the one that... Um, opened the concert. Um, it was supposed to be Sweetwater, but everybody was delayed on the freeway. <laughs> I wonder the, why. The New York Thruway was was basically shut down by people trying to get there. So they got there late. Everybody was getting there late. So Richie Havens was one of the only ones there. So it was like, go ahead. <laughs> so he, he basically opened it up. Um, then there was, it was Tim Harden, and Joan Baez, who was six months pregnant at the time. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. That's insane. And just to think, like, the what uh, Woodstock would to become, and it's such, like, an iconic thing, all from some, like, in a farmer's field. <laughs> yeah, it, you talk about politics. This was, this was the turning point of music. Mm-hmm. And, politi- and and politics and how it mixed together and the whole counterculture movement and it basically put music before this uh, before it was you know you had the Beatles mm-hmm. and the Beatles you know they didn't really sing a lot about politics they it sung a lot happy, of poppy songs it was songs about falling in love and you're, you're, here's your girl and you lost your girl and then they did the tax man, you know, which was kind of a little bit, of, but um, maybe in a subtle way. But but Woodstock made music a part of everyday life, uh-huh. uh, with politics and and the power that music that this that Woodstock made music become such a power in day to day life. Um, you know, bands like Crosby, Stills and Nash, and Joni. Um, who else was there? Um, Credence was there. Yeah, all these bands that were there, and there's so many great bands that turned down. They said, ah, it's not going to be anything. We're not going to go there. Jethro Tull turned it down. Zeppelin, they all said, nah, we're going to go do something else. It just doesn't sound like it's going to be anything. Yeah, right. And, and it's turned out, you know. <laughs> I would still like to be able to get a hold of the sound recordings of Credence at Woodstock. Well, Credence, yes, it was Credence. Um, yeah, that day was the Dead, uh, Credence, Janis Joplin, 
And Santana, that again, that Santana, well, that's the second day, but Santana it, it created that type of music that, that, I don't know if you call it Latin or whatever, the rock and the Latin combined, it kind of brought that to the forefront. It did so many things for so many people. Yeah. I mean, the Who's performance, um, it brought everybody that was there. Joe Cocker just knocked him dead. And it, it, it brought him, made him a star. Um, every, you know, everybody that was there turned him into a star. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they even had Sha Na Na, the 50s uh, doo-wop band. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it, was, it was quite the place. I was just, I was up in Lake George doing a gig. Um, I think it was probably two, three weeks ago. And I was going to stop here on the way home it was a Sunday, and I looked at the map, because right now at the site, I mean, you know, it's not, Woodstock is a town in New York, but it's not where the concert happened. Yeah. Woodstock is farther south, but that's just where they had their headquarters. Um, and But I looked on the map, and the traffic around the concert location, because they, they have a museum there, and a small little venue that they have bands and everything uh, there. Um, it's a whole arts thing. Um, arts center, music and arts center. And the traffic, I looked on the traffic app and it was just, you couldn't get close to the place. Because <laughs> it was a really nice day. It was a Sunday. And I said, I can, I'll spend hours just trying to get into place. So yeah, right. I didn't stop there. So, But it's definitely, it's, it's on my bucket list to actually go to the site and stand in the field if, if possible. It's got to be such like a, like, um, I, I guess the, from not ever being there, the only thing I could probably relate it to is like being at the bottom of like Niagara Falls. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a historic site. Um, the energy that was there, uh, all the, you know, how many people were there and there was no violence. Mm-hmm. Some people, um, died of drug overdoses but then other other babies were born mm-hmm. so but there was no violence there was, it was it was they had to wait 30 years for that one yeah right <laughs> and to get all those people together and to have that happen it was just it was definitely a turning point in music and and um if you ever get a chance to watch the movie oh yeah the movie's great too and if you want any more information on Woodstock go back to like season one of the show or two. I think it's season one. I think we were running out of ideas and we did like a three part series on Woodstock 69, oh. 94 and 99. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know why after the, after 94, they actually did 99. Well, I, it was probably <laughs> a cash grab at that point. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's like, yeah. I, I don't know, but I think there's a documentary coming out on Woodstock 99 about how like horrible it was or, you know, like how, uh, like, how it just turned like from happy to extremely violent yeah but yeah when that comes out i definitely want to see that um speaking of violent in 1983 guitarist of the ramones johnny ramone was beaten in a street fight and he had to undergo brain surgery the same day um the incident actually inspired the next ramones album too tough to die 1983. Yeah. Where was that? Where was that? It was in New York. It was in New York? Okay. Yeah. It's insane. I know. Just, did, did, what's, did they catch the people or was it? It was, um, it was a guitar player from another band. Oh. Or it was a member of another, of another punk band. And they got into a fight and he got the shit mm-hmm. beat out of him. <laughs> I mean, the Ramones, I listened to the Ramones when I was in high school in the 70s. That's how long they had been around. Yeah. And it was so different and so much fun to listen to. Mm-hmm. And um, it was great. Yeah, I've I, always I, liked the Ramones. It was so much fun. I have a soft spot for the Ramones. I mean, I'm not a giant punk guy. That's Steve. But um, I've always liked the Ramones. I always, thought, I always thought they were like a good, like, middle of the ground punk band. That's when it started in in the, I said, well, maybe not the mid-70s, more towards the later, probably 76 was when... I, I first heard them, and then it got then it then it got to kind of split off. You got you had the cars, yep, which were I guess became new wave, 
and then there was still the punk. So punk kind of branched off into different things. Yeah. And the New York Dolls and all that stuff. And uh, but uh, yeah, so that whole punk movement in New York City. But that's a shame that it had to happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it just adds to the allure of the Ramones and yeah. their street credibility. If I want to be sedated, ever help, if ever uh, you know, <laughs> hurt their rep. <laughs> well, now aren't all the original members gone now? Yes. Yeah, I think I, I'm pretty sure they're all dicks. I yeah. think uh, I think Joey Ramone died in like 2005 or something along those lines, and. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure they're all dead at this point. While you're uh, reading the next one, I'll take a look real quick. Okay, in 1991, 750,000 people attended Paul Simon's free concert in Central Park, New York City. I figured that, I picked that one because I figured you had a, a decent bit to talk about with that one. Well, my my memory is that they actually got that many people in the Central Park. <laughs> but yes, again, it was another Paul Simon was was very influential in, in music and got the the world to listen to, I guess what you call got the, got got the mainstream to listen to world music, I guess you would you would call it um listening to other types of music and than just what we're used to listening to in England and America. Um, more African music mixed in. Uh, the drums, the, the vocal, the chanting. Uh, it was all part of his Graceland album, which um, really kind of changed history a little bit. Uh, same thing with Peter Gabriel. Peter Gabriel did the same thing. Oh, really? Yes. With, with, he, he brought in world music into, into his into his music. Um with the So album um, and it just opened up everybody's mind who was just used to listening to uh, rock and roll and and I guess you call I don't know if you want to call it white music but but English music okay and yeah. all of a sudden they brought in all this these different mixed in all of these African rhythms and, and the singing and the chanting and it was like and it all mixed together and he brought them all up on stage, did the whole, and it was just. And Peter Gabriel's done the same thing, and it just opened up, opened up everybody's mind to the other types of music in the world that were out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was a big event. Paul Simon was was very big um, in new things, uh, innovative, uh, something completely different than what was going on. And so um, this was big because he was very popular at this time. Yeah, I actually read. Um well, I saw that the for the track listing for the actual album, I think side one or, you know, the first disc or whatever was, um, I think, like 63 minutes and the second side was like 55 minutes. So he had just two straight hours of playing. And I believe he played um, Call Me Al twice. And yes. he had Chevy Chase come Chevy out. Chevy Chase come out for it, yes. <laughs> yes. It was, um, yeah, it was quite an event. Yeah, I, I I can only imagine what seven hundred and fifty thousand people in Central Park is like. Yeah, I wonder how that many. How, what about the bathroom situation? Probably similar to Woodstock '99. Yeah, that's just. <laughs> <laughs> so, getting into our main topic here for this week, you had been pestering me to watch this movie, and I finally sat down. And I got to watch it. Coincidentally, it was the same night that you were playing a show. Okay. <laughs> um, the movie is uh, the 2018 documentary, What is Classic Rock, uh, directed by Daniel Sarkisan. Um, Runtime of hour and 32 minutes. Uh, he's a Canadian filmmaker. And it brings up the question, what is classic rock? I mean... I didn't... Honestly, I did not get much out of this. I feel like this is all this was all stuff that we had already had previously had talked about like even like even me and you and everyone else we had talked about this the one gripe that I had with this movie though was Twisted Sister like when JJ French was talking and he had said he was basically like acting like the gatekeeper 
to like classic rock. It was like, oh my god. It was like, calm down, JJ. You're barely a gatekeeper keeper of like hair metal. But um, it did raise some interesting questions though, and it does bring it into like a topic of conversation to where it makes you wonder: Are is like the older generation of these you know rock stars back then? Are they um? Are they like the gatekeepers into this, you know, exclusive classic rock thing? Or is it just, you know, what the definition of it is, um, with it being bands basically from 19, uh, 1960s to 2000? What's your stance on this one, Michael? Well, there's 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 two sides to it. The, the Some... Critics say that classic rock was created as a money-making scheme um, to, it has to do with Western culture, uh, to create this genre of classic rock to continue to sell these artists and to promote these artists long after their peaks. now, on the fan side of where I am, I look at it as classic rock being that error. For me, it's mostly um, the 60s and the 70s, from the Beatles until um, like 1980, 83 at the most, um, is, the, is a time where an album was... A, um, a work of art that was done as a single, you know, as a thought, so that we're gonna we're gonna record an album and it's not gonna just be a bunch of songs. It's gonna mm-hmm. be an album of of how we are feeling at this time, and it's all about. I always think music is about emotion, and there was a lot of innovation going on in music at that point, at that mm-hmm. time, and that. Um, all these different bands were coming out and they all sound a little different and they were like creating their own, their own genres. Mm-hmm. This is kind of, this is what I, how I think it, it is. And um, it's where, where a lot of these genres were created. And, and that's why, that's my definition of classic rock was the era, era of rock when most of the genres were created mm-hmm. that we still listen to today from... Um, from hard rock, soft rock, um, uh, the new wave. Hmm. Uh, there was heavy metal. You know, you had Black Sabbath and, and the beginning of the heavy metal movement. The pop. Um, you had the vocal acts like Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, political kind of acts. Hmm. Then you had American American rock with Aerosmith and Bruce Springsteen. Hmm. Those kind of things, storytellers. Yeah, it was like it's like when all of these these things were new. Yeah, and and to me that's what classic rock was about. It's when all these things were created. Then once you hit after 1980, or their 80s 80s rock was more synthesizer, more electronic, mm-hmm. and there wasn't a lot of kind of one group. <laughs> the 80s were kind of one group of music, so. To me, like after 83, everything, all the innovation kind of leveled out a little bit. Yeah. And, and then you got into the hip, hip hop, everything as you got into, into the 90s and the grunge. But to me, classic rock is when most of the innovation was done and it laid the groundwork for everything that came later. Okay, yeah. I, I agree with that. Um, well, there's actually a couple different there's not there's not one answer if you go online there's millions of answers answers. but the top ones that i was able to figure out is classic rock is music that's associated with the album era Mm -hmm. from 1960 to 2000 i i actually agree with you in the whole album thing going away well before the year 2000 um another or you know explanation is a radio format developed uh uh, developed for um, album-oriented rock uh, for the format mm-hmm. of that in the early 80s, and then classic rock as a movement. So I guess we could, in a way, 
kind of culminate these three things together because our local radio uh, classic rock station, uh, 102.9 MGK, shout out to those guys if you're in the Delaware Valley. <laughs> yes. Um, I've been noticing that I'm hearing a lot of bands from the early 90s. I'm hearing Alice in Chains on there. I'm hearing Pearl Jam. I'm hearing Nirvana. And, and Metallica. Yeah, and Metallica. I yes. think I've heard Nothing Else Matters on uh, MGK a few times. And it kind of it makes you wonder now, are these bands starting to be considered classic rock? Or is it the fact of, like, if you go to, like, the DMV and you have a car that's 25 years old, it's considered a classic at this point or historic. Is this kind of the... the um, is this kind of like the movement for these particular bands? Like after 25 years, you've done your run. Now you're, you know, put out the pasture in classic rock radio. <laughs> it, it, it could be a, a, a moving target. Yeah. The classic rock becomes a moving target. You know, as, you, as, as people get older, you know, is, is, are the Beatles considered oldies? Yeah, now. it was funny. I was talking to Nicole about that this morning. Yeah. Or are, are, are the Beatles still relevant as a rock band? Yeah. Or are they, no, they should be on the oldie station. Yeah. You know, and and I think with, with the classic rock stations, they're starting, so they can expand their listening, their listening audience. Mm-hmm. They're getting more, playing more grunge, more metal that was in the 90s. Yeah. And now, I mean, from everything that I was able to read and what I actually gathered from the documentary, it was, you know, basically that, album oriented rock like like you were saying earlier with you had a cohesive unit and this is that and you know that died out in the 80s you know in the early 80s and I I I, I would have to agree with you with that being like a good I or a good um, criteria for being a classic rock band and that's why I believe that classic rock couldn't or, or that's why classic rock could be a genre because now you're not, you don't have that. Um, everything's uh, singles, you know, everything's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, EPs, you, you don't have albums anymore. So I do believe that classic rock, I mean, I think I'm talking in circles. I think I forget. I'm forgetting what I'm saying. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe the, the innovation, the innovation um, and, and the, the making of an album to make a statement. Yes. Uh, all the bands, when they sat down and said, we're going to do an album, it's a statement. Mm-hmm. Now you're saying it's just it's just singles. Yes. There's no innovation. There's no... I'm going to say everything sounds the same because it doesn't, but... it become, It's stale. It's stale, yes, right. I, I mean, Southern Rock was created, mm-hmm. and then there's still Southern Rock. Mm-hmm. If you listen to a Southern Rock song... Today, it's going to sound like Leonard Skinner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and it's like there was all these genres created and they were still more created, but there hasn't been much more done with it. Yeah, I mean, it's come to a point to where they're, I mean, you have people pushing the envelope everywhere, but it's almost to the point to where we're kind of capped at like mm-hmm. what we're able to produce as you know, normal human beings without getting a computer involved. But I mean, that, then again, everything now is done with computers. Obviously, you've, everyone's heard the intros to these podcasts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it also brings up an interesting thing, too. Like, you have bands that are, you know, relevant now and bands that are popular now, like Greta Van Fleet and Dirty Honey, where they kind of invoke these feelings and, you know, uh, they're able to, like, uh, have the older generations reminisce of these times of the classic rock bands. Obviously they sound almost like carbon copies of, you know, you name it, Leonard Skinner, you know, Led Zeppelin. That that's the big one with those guys. And it's almost like they're trying to cater to this like movement. You know what I mean? And I, I mean, I guess that's probably why I'm not a giant fan of these bands that, and, I was never a giant fan of Led Zeppelin either, so it's just kind of like an instant turnoff. Well, when you say they try to cater to them, are they trying to cater or are they just being influenced by them? 
they could be if, if you talk to a lot of of the 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 newer musicians the the newer bands that are actual bands hmm. and you say well who influenced you and a lot of them will go back oh Zeppelin oh, oh Rush or, or, or you know um, uh, the Beatles and and now they're even getting they're saying their influences are bands um, like Metallica hmm. or or, or um, some more different grunge bands or some more of the hip hop artists who were influenced by the old yeah, those bands. We're getting into the second and third generation of of being influenced by. Yeah, because to 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 play you're listened to, and whether you want to admit it or not, you're 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 being influenced by what you're listening to mm-hmm. and what you hear, and and so it still goes back to the, that era mm-hmm. because once there was the Beatles, then everything kind of changed and people were listening to, to this classic rock and they were being influenced by it. All these different styles that were coming out. So you're hearing a lot of, of um, a lot of people influenced, a lot of drummers. Listen to a lot of drummers. Mm-hmm. They sound like uh, either... Could, they, yeah, it's like, oh, he was, <laughs> he was influenced by Bonham. Listen to him. Which isn't, there isn't anything wrong with that. It's no. just, he's playing because, you know, or they were influenced by... By Neil, uh, Neil Peart, or they were influenced by a drummer um, that was influenced by Neil. Yeah, so, exactly. And so you're listening to these different styles, and you listen, and then you, you talk to these, these drummers, you, you know, Bonham and Neil Peart. They were influenced by you know, Buddy Rich. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, so the influence just keeps going. Well, it comes to a point generation. to where it's like, is it? Are you paying homage to these acts, or are you trying to like? I mean, that's how I feel about. The, the particular two acts that I had mentioned that I feel like that's just blatant ripoffs. Yeah, you can, you can, you know, I, I was in an, an, uh, an original progressive rock band hmm. and we had very similar, we had very similar bands that we were influenced by that we really liked. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Yes, Kansas, um, Sticks, they were like these three bands that we, that everybody everybody in the band like really liked. So when we started writing music and we started putting music together, we went back and listened to it and he goes, we're like, that sounds like Kansas. <laughs> and said, that sounds, oh, that sounds like, that sounds like Sticks. We did it without even realizing it because our influence, when you're writing music, yeah. your influence comes through whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and there's some artists who can, Write different albums in different genres. I, I, I mean, Billy Joel did that. He he wrote one, paid an homage to fifties music. He he wrote another one that paid homage to the Beatles, and he wrote another. He wrote the different albums. He was able to do that, but but most artists, kind of, you can tell who they were influenced by, mm. and it just comes out. Yeah, you can't really unless you intentionally stop and say, no, I'm not going to write. I'm going to do something completely different. Yeah, and some artists can do that, uh, but otherwise, your influences are going to come out whether you like it or not. Uh, and it's and uh, it, it just happens. That way. <laughs> it was just, it was it wasn't it's something when we listened to those songs back and it was like, man, that sounds like Rush. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we didn't even mean it to sound like Rush, but it, we all like Rush, and it kind of came out. I wouldn't even find nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, and, and, it's, and even the synth sounds I was using. And some of the organ sounds like, oh yeah, that's a Wakeman, Rick Wakeman organ sound. But hey, <laughs> it's like, hey, it works. It works, and, and it's, it's it's so you're you're influenced by these artists, and that was, seems to have been a big era. So that's why I call it classic because it seems where a large number of genres were being created, and a large number of superstars were created that influenced the next generation mm-hmm. and and they were influenced by the older musicians that were like the original musicians. I, I call them the original um, uh, musicians from the, from the forties and the fifties. And, but then, then, then came all these superstars and all these bands and all these, and they later influenced these people. So I, I don't, you know, there's, there's, 
I'm just reading about it too. Billboard magazine, Rolling Stone magazine likes to, to, to be controversial. In no. A, talking about <laughs> it, you know, being, being, you know, oh yeah, well it's white music and they didn't let the black music through and, and this, but there was, a, a, you know, there was the Jackson five. There was these, mm-hmm. there, there was, you know, I mean, hip hop came out. Yeah. You know, and, and in this and the Santana, the Latin influence. Mm-hmm. So all the, everybody's influence was in there during that period. And it just was, but they, they like to say corporate, well, corporate America pushed the white music and all this stuff. And, and you listen to what, you, if you heard it, you like it, you listen to it, whether they told you to or not. Yeah, exactly. That was the whole part of the counterculture. That's why you, if you look at Woodstock, you look at the, the, the people who were at, going back to Woodstock, the different genres that were there. Everybody was there from Sha Na Na, the doo-wop band, to Jimi Hendrix. Exactly. You know, and so everybody was represented. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's where I get the classic rock thing where was when all this was ha- started and started branching off. And everything that happens today seems to have been rooted back in that era. You know, and the, the, the thing that, that seems a little different to me is, is, the, is the 80s when, again, it's technology. Mm-hmm. Technology has an effect on this also. Because nowadays, anybody can be a musician in their basement with, with a computer. And, and you spend, you know, $500 and have, and, you know, come out with this exactly. loops and all this stuff. And, uh, but these, but these musicians in that period of time, um, had to work at their craft and really, really, really work at it, really work together. And, and that, why the music has lasted. I think it's lasted not because corporate America pushes it. I think it's lasted because it's really, really good music. Exactly. And it came from the heart and it came from practice and a lot of hard work. And, and that's why it's still lasted. That's why, you know, you, you listen to 102.9 and you still hear Freebird. Hmm. You know, you still hear, and it's like, what people want to hear. Yeah. They, they relate to it. It's great music, all that music from that time, Aerosmith, all those, it's just, that's where I get it from. So I guess to kind of like uh, simplify it and put a pin in this topic. So I guess where my stance is with classic rock, I'm going to have to go with it was the the time. It was the span of music from, I, I'm not going to say from 60 to 2000, I will say 60 to 60 to 80. There's a 20 year span in there to where all kinds of, you know, experimental and um, super influential music had come out. So I guess classic rock could be considered. I don't know, because that that's that's the stalemate in this, Mm because you could say, oh, it's a genre. But within that classic rock genre, you have, you know, Bruce Springsteen. You have Van Halen, you have Santana, you have Leonard Skinner, you have all this. So I guess classic rock would have to be considered a movement. Mm-hmm. I, I I mean, that's the only, uh, like I said, because you can't, you can't say it's a genre because there's so much underneath of it and there's so many moving parts within, you know, that. So I guess my stance is going to be that it's, that it's a movement. And for for me, it's it's it started in in the '60s. Um, the Beatles kind of changed things, and then once we got to Woodstock, and the counterculture and politics got involved, and it was exposed to that many people. That's when it started to branch out, and that that just set it in motion to all these different um, genres, and, and you know the San Francisco side and. Uh, and the New York side and the Chicago and all these bands coming out from all these different areas and all being different. That's when it music was exploding up until to me, it's, it's like in, into like the mid eighties, you know, and that's why I call it classic rock. It's just when all the different genres were created mm-hmm. and seemed to have been carried for. And since then the genres that were created, uh, the major ones like you know there was the heavy the hair metal 
but that went back to like kind of just kind of Van Halen polished. Yeah. You know, <laughs> a polished Van Halen. And because uh, to me, Van, Van, Van Halen brought back metal, you know, because uh, uh, it was kind of dying, mm. you know. So, but that's my definition. It's, it's, it's the innovation that happened. Okay. And that during that period. And after that, everybody was influenced by what happened in that period. So what, what are they going to call this period? I don't know. Maybe 20 years from now, these people will get influenced by these people who got influenced by these people. Like yeah. you saying, we're in the second or third generation. Of well, everything tends to come full circle anyway. Yeah. It's only going to be a matter of time before we have another like Beatles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what do you think? What is classic rock to you? Uh, do you consider it a movement? Do you consider it a genre? Do you consider it a point in time? You can get at us on our social media accounts. Facebook.com slash RATM podcast, Instagram and Twitter at RATM podcast, or if those characters aren't enough, you can write us an email, RATM podcast at gmail.com. But until then, we're going to get into our suggestions for this week. I'll start. My suggestion for this week, I know I have uh, suggested the album before, but the uh, band is Slaughter to Prevail. Um, the song is called, uh, the album is Costalome, uh, released in 2021. And the song is Bratva. Um, it has probably like one of the most like punishing, like brutal slam riffs that I've ever heard. And, um, I recently just got back into them cause they released a new single called 1984 which sounds absolutely nothing like anything else that would ever have the title 1984. But check out uh, Bratva from Slaughter to Prevail. What do you got this week for us, Michael? Um, this band, the band is, I want to get this right. Uh, it's an all-girl band called called Plush. Okay. And the singer was on one of the, one of these, um, you know, the singer shows that's out there. Uh, <laughs> and she is, I'm trying to find her and make sure I know her name. Insert Jeopardy music here. Yes. <laughs> it's four women. And you can tell that singer, songwriter, guitarist, Moira, 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 Moira Formica. Yes. yes. Um, the girls they just rock the drummer is just incredible she's 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 well known already um, around and um, the bass player and the guitar player they just really really fit well together and um, they have a couple songs I think one was called Hate which is just incredible and the girl uh, um, I don't know. Is it Mar- Mariah? I think it's I don't, however you pronounce her name. She just belts it out. Oh yeah, and I, he, I, and, you've shown me them. She's she's and, incredible. And and there you can tell her influence. Getting mm-hmm. back to influences, she was influenced by Hart, mm-hmm. by Nancy and Ann Wilson because she sings Barracuda. Yeah, and she oh. does it very well. And she's <laughs> and she just. And, and the drummer, man, she's just, she's good. Yeah. And, and she drives the band and, and, and they're, um, I don't know how many albums they have out yet, but I'm just, but I know that the, the new one, uh, um, that new song hate, I think this is their only album, but you gotta listen to this band because they, they just rock. They really rock. And, and 
you, when, when you when you watch them in the video and you listen to them, you actually have to smile because like like these girls are just they just got it. Oh yeah, they got it, and, and it's like you you have to you, they draw they draw you in once you start listening to them, and it's very rare that you get a band like that. And um, yeah, and they're just good. They're that good. Awesome. I I think one of the next times you come on the show, we're gonna I'm gonna have to get you to watch Metal a Headbanger's Journey. I'm telling you that this documentary I've talked about it time and time again. It's actually one of the main influences that started this show, or the idea for this show. But um, yeah, that, definitely one of the next times that you come over, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to watch it, or you're gonna have to watch, and then we'll talk about it. It's it's a good one because I I did like this topic a lot. And I would like to be able to do more of these genre-based topics, too. But, um, yeah, so that's another episode of Rage Against the Mainstream Podcast for the books. Um, once again, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on our social media accounts. Facebook.com slash RATM Podcast. Instagram and Twitter at RATM Podcast. And our email, RATM Podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you tune in next week. Um, we will not have a scheduled you know, topic based episode but we will have an interview that is definitely on the top of my list um if you're a guitar hero i think you'll really uh, enjoy this one so once again there's another episode of rage against the mainstream podcast for the books thank you for listening as always i'm bill yes and i'm michael <laughs> have a good night guys thanks thanks for listening thanks.